0: Hi, and welcome to the Technicolor Postcast. I'm your host out of Los Angeles, Alyssa Heater, and today I'm joined by sound re-recording mixer and now two-time Emmy winner Joe DeAngelis to talk about his work on Watchmen. Hi, everyone. A few of Joe's credits include Perry Mason, Cobra Kai, Umbrella Academy, House MD, and of course, Watchmen, for which you and Chris Carpenter and your team took home the Emmy for Outstanding Sound Mixing for a limited series or movie. So congratulations. That's incredibly well-deserved. We're very excited for you. Thank you. And in addition to the sound mixing win, Brad North and his team won the sound editing for Watchmen as well. Uh, did you guys do anything fun to celebrate?
1: Uh, funny, because the awards, both of our awards were on different nights. So Chris, who is my mixing partner, Carpenter, lives across the street from me, funny enough. And he came over here and we watched it and celebrated and Brad Facetime with us and then on the night that Brad had his awards, we FaceTimed with him. So that was the extent of our celebration so far. Hopefully we'll get to do something when uh, this whole COVID thing comes to an end.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I'd love to kick off the conversation and learn a bit about your career path and how you got into sound mixing.
1: So I started off, I went to school at a small little school out here called an L.A. Recording Workshop. It used to be on Ventura Boulevard. Um, I originally, they had a 600-hour recording engineer program that I completed and went to work in music studios for a few years, which I basically found out was very difficult and (laughs) not paid well, but I learned a lot. Um, After that, I moved into... A live sound job I actually worked at Universal Studios on the upper lot doing the theatrical shows up there like Waterworld and Beetlejuice and the Flintstone show and all that kind of stuff in the meantime I was also doing live sound at night with bands uh, around Hollywood you know like the Whiskey the Troubadour and clubs like that um, basically did that for several years and then in 1999, a friend of mine, Rick Klein, who I've known since I was a young kid, said, "Hey, go talk to Bill Varney over at Universal Studios." And I went and met with him. There wasn't anything available at the time, and I wasn't wasn't really qualified to be a mixer because I had never done anything, you know, with picture and things like that. It was strictly live and uh, recording in the music business. So um, eventually, a job opened up. Uh, managing the hard drives for the facility when we were all using the MMRs and the MMP, the TASCAMs, I believe they were. Yeah, and I was in charge of uh, handling uh, about, we had about a 1,000 different hard drives that would rotate around the facility being used for movies, and that's where I got my foot in the door. Basically started as a Y16 and worked my way up.
0: Very cool. And how did you end up at Technicolor?
1: Yeah. Um, after House ended at Universal, um, I was stayed there for a couple years. Uh, I was mixing on stage two, and uh, a part, my partner at the time, Ken Cobet, and I, and Brad, who was with us there, um, we all decided, you know, we met with Doug, Kent, and Kevin, and, uh, you know, we liked what they had to say. The trajectory of our careers and what we were interested in doing, you know, mainly it was when streaming was just becoming a thing. Netflix had just started doing their first original series and yeah, meeting with, meeting with Doug and Kevin and saying, hey, we think this is a thing. We think this is going to be something that we would want to be a part of and, uh, it it just went really well and it was very easy for us. We just decided to make the change and we came over as a team and we're all still here. So I guess it worked out well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, so for those listening who might not be all that familiar with crafting the sound for a TV series, can you explain a bit about your role versus Chris's versus Brad's and how do you work together to develop the sound for a project?
1: So it'll basically start with Brad because he's working with the picture editors and the showrunners and he's involved in the process much earlier earlier than we are. So he'll he'll kind of, you know, we'll talk about it. We work a lot together. So we might he might be telling us, Oh, hey, you know, I just went to a spotting session for this show and it's it's really cool. I remember we discussed Watchmen. We knew that episode six was going to be a big one. We knew it was coming. He basically will go and sit down with the showrunner, the picture editor, and they will watch the show and talk about the sound and you know kind of lay out the roadmap of how how it should sound. The the picture editor and the picture assistant will do a temp audio track, which kind of gives us the vibe of you know what they like. They'll temp in music so the composers. Can hear that temp music and know what the what the vibe of the music will be, and Brad will you know they'll spot effects and discuss things how they how it should sound, um, and then he gives it to his team and his dialogue editor Tiffany will cut all the dialogue tracks which I get. Um, they will shoot ADR and cut that which I'll get. Uh, they'll shoot group, which is. Basically, you know, people in the background talking. Background people, they'll shoot that, and I'll get that as well. And the composers will write the music, and then that'll come to me. So that's all on my side. And then on the effects side, Harry Cohen, who was our sound designer, he he would design things like the owl ship and things like that. And that'll go to Chris. And then Jordan, who cut our backgrounds, which are basically your environments, um... And the hard effects, you know, the cars, which in Watchmen were electric. So all the cars Jordan would cut, doors, and all the basic stuff, you know. And then they will shoot Foley, and that will be cut, and that goes to Chris as well. So basically, Chris is handling all the design, the sound design, and he's handling the effects, the hard effects, the practical stuff. He'll handle the Foley and the props and the backgrounds, the environments. And then I will handle the dialogue ADR group and music. And we will each spend several days, apart from each other, uh, pre-dubbing, basically. I have a room where I will pre-dub my dialogue. Usually it'll take two or three days to get through the dialogue track. And while I'm doing that, he's out on the stage. Um, He'll he'll pre-dub all the backgrounds, and the effects and the hard effects and he has he has the guide track that he can work up against so he gets an idea of you know levels something to balance against and then after those pre-dub days we will then join together and at that point i will bring the music in and we will start to craft the show which will then take anywhere from uh, i think watchman we had eight days and i think we pre-dubbed for three so it was a good four days of, you know, crafting that show and trying to get everything together before we presented it to Damon. So that's that's our basic workflow. And the, the time expands and contracts, you know, depending upon the show and the budget of the show. So sometimes we can get more time. Sometimes we can get less. Usually it's less. Usually most of our dubs are four to five days. So in our longer ones, we've done eight. To 12 days, basically.
0: Got it. That makes sense.
1: If it does, if it makes <laughs> sense.
0: <laughs> kind of getting an understanding for it. Um, yeah. Had you worked with creator Damon Lindelof uh, or any of the crew behind Watchmen prior to this?
1: Um, we have, I had not. Um, John Blair, our co producer, and Pam Fitzgerald, who was our other co producer, we have worked with them extensively. On other shows, uh, I did Pam. Uh, with Pam, I did American Gods, um, which was a star show a few, couple years back. Yeah. Um, John Blair, we did a, a show called Six that was on A&E. It was uh, basically a SEAL a seal team show. And we had also worked with John back at Universal on a show called Do No Harm, a very short-lived show. But that's basically how we we get our shows is through our co-producers and producers. Um, There are a couple showrunners like Greg Utanis who I've worked with over the years. So usually when he's got a series, we, we, you know, we'll interface with him, but it's mainly through the co-producers. So I had not worked with Damon before, but John did the leftovers. John Blair did the leftovers with him. And when we met with John about doing Watchmen, he had nothing but praise about Damon and, He was absolutely right, 100%. The guy is amazing. He's super, super smart and very kind and very appreciative, and he lets everyone do their job, and he appreciates everyone who does their job, which makes it a fantastic experience. So I would say that's one of my highlights of my career is being able to work with Damon. So hopefully sometime we'll get to do it again.
0: That's so cool. So let's go uh, into the episode that you won the Emmy for. Um, so a large portion of this extraordinary being focuses on a flashback to the Tulsa massacre of 1921. And there are so many different soundscapes in this episode from you know the destruction of the town to the attack in the alley that has all those cool drumming effects and the long single shot uh, fight scene. How did your team make this all happen?
1: Well, the challenge is basically of the one shots is trying to get the dialogue to sit. Um, there's a lot of movement in one at least on on this episode. You can hear the crew moving, the camera moves, the dollies and things creaking around. And when they're in that club having that intimate conversation, it was a bit of a challenge to kind of get that cleaned up and we weaved in and out of a lot of production and ADR in there because some of the dialogue just wasn't usable because there was foot creaks and cracks and you could hear the floor the noise of the yes. crew moving so for me that was that was the biggest challenge of that episode uh, on the waners was trying to get a good smooth dialogue track you know that is intelligible and you can hear what's being said and weaving in and out of the ADR and the uh, production dialogue uh and try to make that as smooth and seamless as possible. Um, the flashbacks to the Tulsa massacre take place in that scene as well, where you, you will see the hooded guy shooting and, and, and then the piano playing lady who, who's a theme, she comes in and out a lot in that episode. So it was, it was basically, you know, trying to craft what you were seeing and what you were hearing. Um, you it's it's like drawing focus you just you know when you see that pop up on the screen you definitely want to subdue everything else that's going around going on around it like the club the jazz club and and focus on on that and then get back to the jazz club again which you know it's it's there's a lot of trial and error that's what Chris and I will spend a lot of time doing trying to make transitions seamless and smooth that was a challenge as well in that episode uh the fight scenes they were pretty pretty forward straight ahead stuff with hooded justice it was a weird juxtaposition with the music if you listen to the music while he's in the alley beating those guys up yeah. it's, it's, it's 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 you know i had never mixed that that style of music against a serious brawl like that and it worked it was very effective and that was Anna our picture editor and Damon you know when they assembled these tracks uh they chose this music so um it was it was a very cool choice oh um,
0: absolutely
1: very unique and very effective so yeah this this episode was a unicorn when we first saw it we were like holy cow this is you know it's really involved and and Trent and Atticus wrote that song which you would swear was out of the 30s and it just it just all came together it took time um obviously there's a lot of drumming uh rhythmic stuff uh scene change transitions that we had to time out properly you know with drum drum rolls to a door slam you know we had to work the timing out on those types of things but yeah that was that was our big challenges in in this episode
0: awesome and you mentioned that you know a lot of your job is trial and error. Did you have to do anything you know creative or outside of the norm to achieve just the right sound for this episode?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say outside of the norm. Uh, creative, yeah. It was very. It was a very creative episode as far as sound and soundscapes. But you know, a lot of that was handled by Brad and his team. You know, cutting cutting that stuff that we were to mix against the music really drove a lot of it you know the scene where they're dragging the bodies behind the police car before that fight in the alley it's all it's all music so we let the music kind of set the tone set the soundscape for those scenes um there's really not a lot of city you know playing as as like in perry mason it was in the 30s as well la but we um we played more of those types of environments real, it, whereas in Watchmen, since it was a flashback and it was, you know, very heady, we just kind of let the music roll with it and then, you know, filled in some of the backgrounds and some horn honks and different things in the car, obviously, the, you know, the things you see on the screen. But it, it it's just that. You know, it's that kind of crafting that has to take place. Um, Chris, obviously, he had a full build of, of background. So it was kind of like, all right, let's figure out what works against the music here and what doesn't work against the music here and take out what's not working and we'll let the music carry it. So mostly in that episode, even during the flashbacks, it's the music that's really telling you what the time period is.
0: yeah. Um so I'm going to go off script a little bit here but okay. did you work directly with Trent Reznor and what was that experience like?
1: Oh it was awesome working <laughs> with Trent and Atticus those guys are amazing. They're they're pros and they they don't do anything half-heartedly. They are all in. They came to the playbacks. Uh, we would they would have their own playback with the music because it was such an important part. We wanted to get that right. We wanted to make sure that they were happy. They they are they're nice guys. I mean Trent. It was very surreal. I've been a huge Nine Inch Nails fan since back in the day, and it was very surreal sitting there talking to him about music and things like that. Oh, <laughs> after, I can
0: imagine.
1: After I got over the initial shock, it was like these guys are fantastic. They, and they're a music editor, Sally Bolt. I mean, they are a team, and they have it together. And it's just, it, it was a great experience uh, being able to work with them. He's yeah, he's he's super talented. He is, and, and Atticus is his right hand man. So, you know, it's just like a one two punch of super talent. Uh, they they originally started writing the music when they read the scripts. So they basically sketched out you know some music uh, based on what they were reading on the scripts, and the picture editors would cut with that. So during the whole process, it was nice because. A lot of times when, you know, there's temp music, the composer has to kind of try to achieve what that temp is doing, and sometimes it doesn't always work out, and people fall in love with the temp, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, the score's not as good as what we had in the temp. And fortunately, this time, the temp was Trenton Atticus, so <laughs> it always seemed to get there.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to what you've described above, are there any other memorable highlights that you would like to share from your experience working on this project?
1: I mean, it, every episode in The Watchmen was, had its unique, you know, twists and story plots. You know, it wasn't just six that was very unique. Seven was fantastic. Um, eight. So, I mean, as a whole, it was great be a part of it with Damon. And like I said, he's fantastic. And Tom Speziale, who was the line producer, is fantastic. I mean, we would really look forward to having them come in and do playbacks, which is funny talking about that now because it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> We're not right. doing that. We don't have 10 or 15 people coming into the stage to do playbacks anymore. So that was like the last show we actually did it on.
0: Oh man. And
1: and yeah, it just kind of holds a fond memory right now because it's kind of like the way things were and things are much different now. So um, as a whole, I just, I, I enjoyed it. I said, I think it was just a special series all the way around.
0: That's so great. So uh, what's next on the horizon for you? Do you have any upcoming projects that we can keep a listen out for your work?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, we're working on a show right now called Shadow and Bone for Netflix, which is Sean Levy, who is one of the creators, well, uh, Stranger Things. It's his group. We're working with them on this show. It's massive. It's uh, I'm not sure when it's going to be out. Uh, we have Bosch coming, season seven, which they just started shooting, I think, a couple weeks ago in L.A., so that's a good sign. Uh, We're going to start mixing that, I think, in December. It's the final season, season seven. And Invasion, a show that's going to be on Apple. Uh, We're doing another round of Love, Death, and Robots for Netflix that we did um, a couple years back. Uh, Our dance card's pretty full. We have a few other shows coming up. As of right now, I think we're booked into next September so
0: yeah it sounds like it with all these projects that's that's incredible yeah,
1: it's a good problem to have right now especially after you know what we're coming out of
0: yeah definitely well thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the technicolor postcast uh, congratulations again on the emmy win and we can't wait to hear more from you in the future oh,
1: thank you my pleasure